Well, welcome everybody. Um, welcome this morning to this uh, webinar partnership with Baptist Women in Ministry of Texas and with Truett Seminary and the Truett Church Network. My name is Matt Holmeyer. I'm the director of the Truett Church Network here in Waco. And we're just grateful to be able to be asked to be a part of this and to um, have our name associated with such people as Anira Kano and Dr. Rebecca Poe Hayes in Baptist Women in Ministry. Uh, from Truett's inception, if you're not familiar with Truett, most of you are. Uh, support of women in ministry has been part of our um, core mission, and that remains and has remained in our 30-year history, remains one of our core commitments, which we, those of us in placement particularly, <laughs> and equipping of ministers, think about, work toward, and discuss every single day. Um, if not, it feels like sometime every single hour, and so uh, we're thankful to be able to participate in all forms of this. And so on behalf of Truett, we're glad you're here today. We're thankful for both Anira and Dr. Pohays and their effort in this. And, uh, and with that, I will stop talking and turn it over to them. Thank you so much, Matt. And thank you, Truett Seminary, for um, partnering with us to be able to provide uh, these uh, webinars for, for ministers all over the state and even all over the world. Um, as Matt said, um, I am Anira Cano, and welcome everybody. We are so thankful that you have joined us. Um, we know it's a Friday, and you are here, and we are very um, honored that you would have been with us. Um, just really quick, Texas Baptist Women in Ministry is a statewide group of women and men that exist for the purpose of affirming, connecting, advocating for, and inspiring women called to vocational and volunteer ministry for the glory of God. Um, and today we have two um, people with us who I would like to um, introduce quickly. First is Kendall Fountain, who is a student at Truett Seminary. She will be um, filtering questions. So if you have any questions that you would like to ask uh, Dr. Poe Hayes, please feel free to do those in the chat and Kendall will present those to her at the end of our conversation. And so today, uh, webinar is Balanced Life in an Upside-Down World by Dr. Rebecca Poe Hayes, who serves as the Assistant Professor of Christian Scriptures at Baylor University's Truett Seminary. Before joining the faculty at Truett, she worked with Baylor's Institute for Faith and Learning on a grant from the Lilly Endowment called To Lives of Meaning and Purpose initiative that focused on the exploration of vocation in churches. Dr. Poe Hayes believes that ministry must be grounded in faithful and responsible readings of scripture. And she loves teaching the Older Testament in order to draw out its ongoing relevance for the church. She is particularly interested in how stories emerge from the Psalms and shape our engagement with these song prayers and how these liter literary features may help individuals and faith communities to cope with trauma and develop resiliency. She presents regularly at the national meetings of the Society for Biblical Literature and is co-chair of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible Unit of the, of the regional SBL. As an ordained deacon, she has served as in churches and Christian nonprofits in Tennessee, Alabama, and Texas. Dr. Poe Hayes and her husband Joshua um, and her husband, Joshua, serve as the associate pastor at the First Baptist Church of Waco and have a daughter named Mary um, and 
and is a distinguished mutt, has a distinguished mutt named Cooper. Sorry about that. For some reason today, I am tongue-tied. <laughs> it is an honor to have you, Dr. Poe Hayes. Thank you for all that you are going to share with us and know that we are praying over you. And we, it, it's all yours. Please, you, you go ahead and take over. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Anira, and, and for all that you and um, Texas Baptist Women in Ministry do, and Baptist Women in Ministry um, generally. It's a it's a really um, important um, ministry that y'all have, um, and I'm honored to be here with you. And I'm going to share my screen. In theory, it's always uh, a little stressful. Uh, all right. Is that working? good yes we can see it looks good all right great um well as anira said um i spend most of my life uh in the psalms most of my professional life in the psalms um and the psalms have a lot of images um a lot of language that that has felt um very applicable, uh, very relatable for this year. And so I wanted to uh, begin um, by reading some of these really ancient prayers. Um, and I want to see, I, I don't know, I just want to see if, if any of y'all can relate to these, to these words. So um, I'm going to read a series of, of Psalms. I'm poured out like water. All my bones have fallen apart. My strength is dried up like a piece of broken pottery. My heart's troubles just keep getting bigger. I am hunched over, completely down. I wander around all day long, sad. My insides are burning up. There's nothing in my body that isn't broken. I'm worn out, completely crushed. I groan because of my miserable heart. Save me, God, because the waters have reached my neck. I have sunk into deep mud. My feet can't touch the bottom. I've entered deep water. The flood has swept me up. I am tired of crying. My throat is hoarse. My eyes are exhausted with waiting for my God. My spirit is weak inside me. Inside, my mind is numb. Um, can, can any of y'all relate to these words, to these prayers? Um, this is sort of how the, the past year has felt for me. It's this feeling, when I read these, when I pray these words, I feel the overwhelmingness of it, right? I feel overwhelmed. And that's how I've um, felt. You know, we've had the pandemic. Um, we've had... Um, a year and more of politics, right? That has been, um, that has weighed on us. We've had, we have ongoing um, struggles with racial in injustice and with the immigration crisis, both here and abroad. Um, here in Waco, we had the winter apocalypse, fondly known as Snowvid among my students. Um, so this year, right, has been, has been overwhelming, has been upside down. Um, for me, it, it's extended a little bit a bit, little bit longer um, on, and you mentioned that I have a, I have a daughter um, who just had her 18 month old appointment this morning. Um, so over the past two years, um, I've had um, new motherhood um, to, to try to fit into my life. Um, I 
um, as part of the new motherhood, I struggled with postpartum depression. Um, so there was that at the same time I was starting a new job. Um, so all of these things piling up more and more. Um, and then when I step back and think, it's like, well, actually, it's not just the last year or the last two years. It's the past 11 years. Um, I got married. I went to grad school. Um, I was working. Um, I'm an off the charts introvert. So trying to figure out when am I going to be alone, you know, with all of these things. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time thinking about how to keep all of these balls in the air um, as a teacher, as a colleague, as a friend, as a mother, as a wife, as a daughter, as a sister, as a deacon, as a minister, um, as a Christian trying to act like Christ, right? I've, I've spent a lot of time um, worrying about all of that. And I've spent a lot of time um, feeling inadequate at one or all of those things at various times. Um, when I was invited to, to lead this workshop on a balanced life in an upside down world, I actually laughed, um, you know, the idea that, that I might have anything to contribute there. And, uh, you know, in the process of putting this together, you know, that I had a meltdown at one point, you know, this is a stressful time. So I want to preface this, this whole conversation um, with maybe the disappointing statement that I don't have all the answers for you, unfortunately. Um, but what I want to do is share some of the ways um, that God has been teaching me to think about this challenge um, of how to live and thrive and minister um, in an upside down world. And what I want to do actually is uh, begin um, by deconstructing a bit the title of this session. So instead of a balanced life in an upside down world um, as a statement, um, a better title might be a balanced life in an upside down world with a question mark. Um, because I'm not convinced uh, that a balanced life is really what we should be shooting for. Um, Work-life balance is a really popular topic uh, in recent years. There's lots of uh, really fascinating historical sociological reasons for that. A lot has to do, you know, with these Hegelian swings from one extreme to another, right? So if your parents overwork, um, we might then underwork because we don't want to be like that, right? Or vice versa. Um, we want to have a healthy approach. And so we talk about finding a balance between um, these responsibilities, these obligations that we have in our life. Um, but balance is a metaphor, right? It's, it's, a it's, a, it's an image, right? And the metaphors that we use, the language that we use um, to talk about things have a great impact, um, probably more than we consciously realize um, on how we view them and how we engage in the world. So for example, um, is life a battle, a struggle, or is it a journey, right? So if you think about life as a battle, um, then that implies, you know, that there will be enemies. It apply, implies obstacles. It implies attacks and retreats, losses and wins, right? It, it, it frames the whole way we think about life. Um, if you're thinking about life more as a journey, um, you don't have enemies, you have companions, you have people you meet along the way, 
you have detours and scenic routes, you have destinations, you have stops along the way. It, it, it totally changes the way that we, we think about what we're doing here, right? Um, and so I think balance can be a metaphor that gives us the wrong idea about our responsibility, the different um, obligations, responsibilities, callings, all of these things. Um, because balance implies two opposing forces, right? So it's like a seesaw. Um, if you're going to balance something, um, you know, you want, you have these two things like this, right? And so if one side is up, the other side necessarily has to be down. Um, you can't have both sides up at the same time. There's always a loss, right? Um, and so I'm not sure that that's, that's really what we're, we're, we're looking at. Because think about all the things that we're trying to balance, to use that language again, in our lives, right? So there's, there's our ministries. We're, we're called to minister. Um, so we have, you know, underneath that large category, we have obligations to our congregations, um, to our nonprofits that we that we're serving, to our our schools, et cetera, wherever we're happening happening to minister, um, and these obligations often involve competing obligations, right? Your work is multifaceted, um, and they often involve last minute obligations, things that you couldn't necessarily plan for, like a funeral or um, a benevolence need or something like that. So the you know ministry is a very complicated <laughs> thing that I'm I'm sure you all know that. Um, we're trying to balance family, right? Relationships take time. Keeping a house going takes time. Laundry, groceries, meals, cleaning, whatever else, pay paying bills, taking out the garbage. Um, all, of, all of this takes time. Um, friends, right? You want to have um, people outside of your your family that, that you're relating to. Those are and they those relationships take time too. Yourself. Right. And um, I said, I'm an introvert. You know, even if you're an, a raging extrovert, there's a, a level of um, necessary self-care, right, that you need to engage in um, health and fitness. Ideally, you'll sleep sometime. Right. And again, all of this takes time. Um, and then, you know, God right? Who is important. That relationship takes time as well, and it needs to be foundational. So these are all good things to spend time on. These are all necessary things to spend time on. And so what I want us to do is, is to think not about how to find the balance, because um, I, I don't know that we want to think about anything losing out, giving up anything, um, I think we need to have a new sort of way of thinking about how to manage all of these really good things that are part of our work and life in the world. Um, and so as part of that, um, there are a few things that I think we need to do, um, that we need to learn to do. And learning is a lifelong practice. Um, I have by no means mastered this. Um, and these are all sort of interrelated, um, so stick with me. Um, but in good Baptist bread fashion, um, I am the daughter of not one, but two Baptist ministers, and I'm married to a Baptist minister, and I've been a Baptist minister, or I am a Baptist minister, however you want to talk about that. But in good Baptist bread fashion, I have alliterated. So stick with me. So the first thing I think we need to do is to learn to resist the silos. 
Um, and then we're in Waco. So I made a silos joke, um, which my husband tells me is lame, but I thought it was funny. It made me giggle. Um, so there's lots of, what do I mean by this? Okay. So I don't actually mean resist Magnolia, um, but there's lots of conversation about siloization, um, at least in the academic world, right? So separation of the disciplines, um, you know, the people in the English department don't do anything with the people in the economics department. You can't really, you know, there's not an emphasis on interdisciplinary um, work, um, but we all do it to some degree, right? And to some degree, um, it's natural and good and right. So who I am with my 18 month old daughter is not who I am with um, Kindle Fountain when she's in my Hebrew classroom, right? Um, my relationship with um, my pastor husband at church is not exactly my relationship with my pastor husband when we're wrestling with family drama at home, right? There's, there's um, different aspects of your life, you know, that you, you do want to um, you know, you behave differently, you think differently, but we can push the separation of our different, the different aspects of our life. Um, we can push the silos too far. And I think we often push it too far in our attempts to create healthy boundaries. So we do need to be able to step away from sermon prep, right? We do need to be able to step away from pastoral care responsibilities. We do need to be able to step away from leadership roles. We need to be able to step away from things. And we'll come back to that idea later, the need to step away, to stop, right? Um, but we also need to step away um, from thinking that when we step away from things, we're fully stepping away from our work, from our ministries, from our callings and our identities as servants of the Lord. Um, it's not about a balance, right? Where we're putting sleep and sermon on opposite sides of a seesaw where one needs to lose out, right? And it, we're not, we shouldn't be thinking about putting pastoring and play on opposite sides or mentoring and motherhood um, or anything in opposition to anything else. These things shouldn't be separate silos of our lives. Um, what I mean by this, right, is that I will preach a better sermon um, if I've slept, right? Um, I will be a better pastor if I've made time to play. I will be a better mentor as I learn to be a better mother and vice versa to all of these things, right? So they're not fully separate. They're all sort of feeding into each other. Um, my husband I've mentioned is a pastor um, and our, you know, so when we, when we started dating, we're getting married, um, we were two people who felt called to full-time vocational ministry. Um, and our prayer um, for our relationship then and now um, has always been that we will minister better together them separately. Um, and we don't, we haven't ever meant by that, that we would minister literally together though we have, right. We've served on church staffs together and, and nonprofits and things like that. Um, but the idea, so it's not necessarily about ministering in the same place, just that we make each other better. We equip each other, um, to minister, um, and to serve better because of our lives lived together, our whole lives. Um, 
it's like the Hebraic concept of personhood, right? So the Greeks divided us into our body and spirit, body and soul, but the Hebrews didn't, okay? Um, you are a person, a nephesh, right? All of you, all together. You don't separate yourself out into these different parts. So this way of thinking um, about your life and about all the different things that are part of it doesn't solve the problems of how to keep all the different balls in the air, right? Like you've still got to do your job and you've still got to, you know, be in a family, whatever your family looks like. And you've still got to, you know, have time for yourself and sleep and all, all of these things. Um, but it should de-stress um, some of the necessary choices that you have to make about when to close the laptop um, when to leave the, de the desk for the running trail, when to hire a babysitter and so forth, right? You're not stopping parenting or pastoring or being a friend or being a spouse. Um, Chip Conyers, um, who taught here at Truett, um, has um, wrote a really fabulous piece on vocation, um, you, you can access it online, actually. Um, I, can, I can send that out later if you're interested. Um, but but he, what he does is he's challenging the typical silos, um, his, the silos he tends to challenge or, or, you know, the secular and the spiritual, right? And he uses the analogy of Jesus calling Lazarus um, into life. Um, so he says, vocation is distorted by two disastrous misunderstandings, a secularized idea of career. Um, and even if that's, you know, as a pastor, right. And a monastic concept of religious life, both are less than the biblical idea of vocation of which Jesus is raising Lazarus is a rich image. Vocation is about being raised from the dead, made alive to the reality that we do not merely exist, but are called forth to a divine purpose. Um, it's this idea that um, you are called, um, you are called to minister, um, and that calling, that spirit of God animates every aspect of your life. Um, so, so the first thing I think we need to do is to learn to see all that you are doing as part of your life of ministry, as part of your life as a Christ follower. So don't don't silo everything out. Um, number two, learn to remain present. So here's another bad pun. Um, but I'm also serious, right, with this picture of a gift because our the time that we have um, is a gift that we should appreciate. I think we appreciate it more the less we feel like we have of it, right? Um, we appreciate most, I think we appreciate time most in its scarcity. We never seem to have enough. Um, but part of what we gain by learning to resist the silos is that, that we're also learning to see everything that we spend our time on um, doing as part of um, our life of ministry, part of our service to God. Um, and that means that we should pay attention to what we are doing at that time. Be present. Right. So it's a new way maybe to think about Colossians 3.23, right? We're working at whatever we're working at um, with all our heart as for the Lord. So maybe that means um, paying attention to how whatever it is you're working at serves the Lord, um, equips you to serve. Um, and we'll come back to this, this verse too. 
Um, I mean, very practically, there's some things about learning to be present, right? Put your phones away, (laughs) put your Apple watches away, Um, put them on airplane mode. You don't, you know, especially with this pandemic and being working from home, you know, we we're all really plugged in all the time. Um, Put it away. Be present. Don't always be listening to podcasts or even to music. Be with your family. Be with your staff. Be with your congregants. Be with yourself. Be with your God. Um, don't multitask uh, your life away. Um, and again, this this doesn't cut down on the number of things that you need to do or the time that they take, because I mean, things do take time and sometimes you do have to, to do all these things together. Right. But again, it can reframe these obligations, these experiences. So for example, I tell my, um, my Hebrew students, I teach Hebrew, um, every semester, um, which involves lots of time spent laboring over, um, Hebrew text, right? Reading, laboring over the Bible. Um, and it can be discouraging how long it takes to work through a verse. And so I, I try to tell my students, um, not to resent the time that it takes to do this translation work, um, but to receive it as an opportunity to slow down and read the Bible, right? Um, It takes time, but it's time that they're hearing the word of the Lord in a new way. Um, For those of you who don't want to labor through the Hebrew text, um, I commend to you, well, for everybody, I commend to you um, um, Kathleen Norris's um, short book, Um, the quotidian mysteries, which is subtitled laundry liturgy and women's work. Um, This is a really fabulous little book. It's um, I've got it right here, actually. Um, It's short. It's very short. You can read it quickly. Um, But it's all about ways, um, finding ways to make those quotidian things, those daily kinds of things, um, the daily chores, the washing of the dishes, the dealing with the church budgets, um, an opportunity for contemplation. So she says the often heard lament, I have so little time, gives the lie to the delusion that the daily life is of little significance. And so by learning to be present, by learning um, to pay attention, um, to recognize that everything that you're doing is part of your life, with God, your life of ministry, your life um, as a um, parent, as a daughter, as a son, as a sister, brother, friend, whatever, um, that's that's opening up that time again. It's redeeming that time, right? So it's not something um, that is lost. It's something that is gained. It's a gift. So we're going to learn to resist the silos. We're going to learn to remain present. We're going to learn to relinquish. Um, We're going to learn that sometimes you just have to let some things go, let it go. Right. And so now we all start singing the song in our head. Um, We need to let go um, the idea of perfection. Okay. Let go of the idea that you can be your absolute best at everything that you have to do because you can't. All right. And that's not the call. The call is not to be perfect. Um, this is not what Colossians 3.23 means, right? Um, 
you know, and this has been a really hard year. We are all stretched really thin. And I mean, and, and the truth is that the life of ministry, you are always going to be stretched thin. I think there's always more to do, right? Um, but that's a biblical thing, right? To, to feel like you are not adequate to the task, right? That you are not being the perfect pastor, that you are not being the perfect um Christian, right? Um, remember that God is the one who gives the growth, right? God is the one whose power is made perfect in our, in, you know, in weakness. We are not the ones meant to receive the glory anyway. So it doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't always need to be the most spectacular sermon that anyone has ever preached. Um, it doesn't always need to be an A plus paper that is going to you know, just floor your seminary professor. Um, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, if it's not perfect, that doesn't mean that you're not doing exactly what you need to be doing, right? Um, so we need to let go of this idea of perfection as our goal. Um, that's not our goal. That's not our call. We also need to let go um, fear and competition. And those often are related whether we acknowledge it or not, right? So we want to succeed. We want to do well. We don't want to fail. We don't want to disappoint people. Um, that's a big fear of mine, right? Is that I'm gonna disappoint people, let people down. Um, and with this often comes this, um, this um, we feel the self-imposed pressure to say yes to everything right? Because um, we don't want to let people down. We want to, you know, make sure we're advancing in our career. So I think especially um, as women, perhaps, um, we worry that if we say no to an opportunity, we won't get another chance, right? So we end up overcommitted unnecessarily. Um, and sometimes we do need to push ourselves and say yes to things that, that we're not sure we can handle. Um, but sometimes it's good to give other people opportunities to serve, other people opportunities to learn, to bless and be blessed. You are not the only one um, through whom God can work in the world. So let go. We need to learn to let go of this, um, the fear of failure and the fear of disappointment and the fear of career dead ends. Um, God is not limited by our limitations. Um, he's going to work things out right? Like it's going to be okay. Um, and we need to learn to relinquish. We need to learn to let go, um, control, right? And this is, this is part of the irony of this workshop, right? Like you can't actually strategize yourself into a work-life balance. Um, because if you are trying to strategize yourself into that, um, you're still putting yourself as the one in control of everything and you will go crazy. Right. So we need to, to learn to relinquish, um, let hold things loosely. Um, you know, you, you don't have to, it doesn't all hinge on you, which brings me to number four. We need to learn to rely on others. Okay. You need help. I need help. Um, it is not good for us to be alone. That's one of the very first things that God um, says about us, that God says to us. Um, and it's pretty basic. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna belabor this here. I think we all know it, 
right? That we need, we need other people that we need to rely on other people. It's just the doing of it that can be a challenge. Um, and the doing of it in real ways and not just superficial ways, right? So sometimes it's hard um, because it's hard to find people um, to rely on, especially as pastors and as, as leader, ministry leaders, whatever your context, um, you know, there's weird relational dynamics at play. It can be hard to find people to be a friend, to be a mentor, to be a help. Um, but it's important to find those people. Um, sometimes it's hard because you have a hard time opening up and being vulnerable. Um, that that's a real challenge. Sometimes you're bad at delegating. All right. Um, Moses had to learn to delegate, right? Um, and he couldn't even come up with the idea on his own. He needed his, you know, he had to have his father-in-law come and and suggest this. This is in Exodus 18 for those of you who want to go do a, a nice Old Testament study. Um, Sometimes the voices of the faithful in scripture can help us not feel alone. Um, this is something that's become really meaningful to me in the past years is reading the Psalms, those words that you remember I read at the beginning um, and realizing that I am not the first person to have felt this way, to have felt like I was drowning, to have felt like, you know, quicksand is coming up over my head and I cannot get a footing to feel just bone weary. Um, I am not the first person to feel that way. Um, and there is some real comfort in that. Um, and it's especially comforting when you start looking at those Psalms and seeing how many of them, um, you know, Jesus prayed. So one of the, one of the people who has felt this way before is the incarnate Christ. And that's, um, you know, and he's still with us. And so that's a really comforting kind of thing. Um, Sometimes you need to rely on the, the gifts um, of mental health professionals. Um, this has been a really challenging season, especially for ministers. Um, you know, we, you know, it's just been, it has been rough. It has been a really rough time. The burden of decision-making, um, the number of um, congregants who have suffered illness and isolation and, um, you know, you're getting, you're getting complaints from everyone on both sides and you're having church members disappear for one reason or another. It's been a hard, hard season. Um, the CDC has released really troubling numbers about um, the mental health toll that this season has taken. So sometimes you need to rely on the gift of mental health professionals. That's how one of the ways that God brings healing. Um, I commend to you, um, the Trauma Healing Institute. Um, you can get to their their website online, but they have they have um, a number of resources that are really really great for churches and for for ministry contexts of all kinds. Um, but one of them they have they've put out as free um, is a care for the caregiver, um, and I I commend this resource to you um, as as um, a way to rely on others um, when you need help. So, I mean, part of what we're called to do is to learn to trust the body that God has given you, that God has given us, the body of Christ. Um, learning to trust that body is part of trusting God. It's part of learning to rest. Um, and that is, that is our final, um, my final lesson um, that I really want to talk about. And this one is really the key. Um, this is the, this is the lesson under which all of these others come, 
right? This is the, the thing we most need to learn is to learn to rely on God. Um, and one of the most foundational ways that we do that is through Sabbath. Um, Sabbath, you know, it's not just Sunday. It's not just, um, you know, taking a nap. Um, the Sabbath command in scripture is always tied to remembering um, who God is and what God has done. So, you know, that you get the command to rest in, in Exodus 20 with the, you know, the 10 commandments and there it's, you rest, you, you Sabbath, you honor the Sabbath because remember how God, God created the whole world. Um, he created you look what he has done. You can, he rested, you can rest, right? Um, when you get the 10 commandments again in Deuteronomy, um, remember that God saved you from bondage, honor the Sabbath because God, God has saved you, right? Um, so Sabbath is about letting go of your control. It is about letting go of your own efforts, of your, um, your need to do everything, to manage everything. Um, letting go of the world's expectations, right? And the world's standards of success, which weigh on us really heavily. Um, Sabbath is an economic disruptor, right? It's a way of resisting the pressures of, um, of empire, right? We don't tend to think about empire right now, but um, resisting the pressures of capitalism, right? Um, of ambition. Um, Sabbath is about trusting um, that you don't have to control all of that, that God is God and is handling things. So it's about sitting and enjoying the gifts of time with your family, with your friends, with God. It's about enjoying a good meal um, and really enjoying it, right? Not having your phone out, checking to see, you know, if a deacon is, um, you know, causing problems or if, you know, there was a typo in the bulletin or, you know, whatever else, right? Um, Sabbath is about, you know, sometimes having a nice nap. I would, I would pay a lot of money for a good nap today. Um, enjoying a fabulous book, um, an energizing run. Um, and as Jesus shows us in the gospels, right? Sabbath is also about being present with those who are hurting and in need of healing, right? Sabbath is about recognizing that all of life um, is a gift from God and that God is working in and through all of life not just in our tidy silos, right? So Sabbath is about trust. Um, God is going to run the world, whether you are doing stuff or not. So learn to rest, um, figure out what that means for you, right? We're all different. Um, a few things, a few very, you know, concrete, practical ways to maybe start doing this. Um, start bookending your day with a pause, right? Take 30 seconds and just be, close your eyes, just be. Do it, you know, 30 seconds when you first wake up, 30 seconds right at the end of the day, bookend your day, um, take some deep breaths, all right? Um, you know, biologically taking deep breaths, actually it calms us down right? It lowers our blood pressure. So it literally will help de-stress you, right? Um, but as you're breathing, taking your deep breaths, remember that 
God breathed life into you um, and continues to give you breath. Um, this pause, this breathing, and, you know, can help reorient your day. Um, you are not the one making all of this work, right? Trust the one who is putting breath in your lungs. Um, and yeah, do just take some time and figure out what helps you relax, what helps you recharge, what helps you rest. Um, and as you do, think about achievable, sustainable goals this way, right? Don't make it something that is so impossible that you are going to feel like a failure every, you know, at the end of every day or at the end of every week because you didn't Sabbath, right? Okay. That's not what, that's not the goal of, of Sabbath. Um, but do figure out um, how, how to, how to rest. All right. Um, and learn to trust God with that. Um, so, you know, despite my nice five point alliterated lesson, right? D despite how straightforward some of this might seem, um, like many things in our faith, um, living life this way uh, doesn't work out in neat, tidy to-do lists. Um, it requires trust. It requires an acceptance of mystery. It requires a willingness um, for things to be messy. Um, this is like grace, right? It doesn't always make sense. It's messy. Um, we don't really know. Um, but also like grace. Um, I hope that this way of approaching life um, can bring you peace and strength and hope um, as you continue to minister um, in all the many ways that God is calling you to minister in what is um, unfortunately and uh, yeah, a, a very upside down world. Um, there is lots that needs to happen. There is lots to do. There's lots that we are called to do, um, but we are called to rest um, above all. So maybe not above all, but we are called to rest as a foundational part of our identity as God's people. Um, so I think what I'll do is is stop us there um, and and see if there's any. Um, conversation that we can have. Dr. Pohes, thank you for such a wonderful presentation. I know that spoke to me in so many ways. Um, I'll go ahead and ask a question that came up for me during this. So you mentioned um, knowing when to say no to some things and not feeling like we always have to say yes. Well, I consider myself a very unique person in that I really struggle with saying yes to things. Um, and that's for fear of failure, for fear of being inadequate, for not being the right person to do something. Do you have any advice for pushing through those feelings? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I get that struggle as well. Um, at the, at the risk of sounding, well, a couple of things. So one at the risk of sounding redundant, I think it does come back to that final um, learning to rest, um, learning to rest in the knowledge that God is the one that's doing all this, right? Um, he wants to use us. Um, that's the invitation. Um, but it's not all going to hinge on your abilities. And so I think that's really important to, to remember. Um, and I think it, you know, learning to um, hear the affirmation of others, right? So 
if you've been invited to do something, there's a reason that you've been invited to do something. Um, somebody has recognized a gifting that you have. Um, somebody has recognized a passion that you have. Um, and so I think listening to the ways that God uses the church, the people around us to affirm um, and equip and encourage us to serve in new ways. I think that's, that's a good thing too, but yeah, the fear, the fear of inadequacy and of failure and of disappointing others, that, that is a dominant fear in my life. And so I understand that. And so to me, it does just come back to that whole, you know, some are called to plant, some are called to water, but it's God that gives the growth, you know? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, another question that's come up is, uh, so they say, I love the idea of relinquishment. I also fear the loss of control and the inner fear that I'm not working hard or doing my best. Can you give an illustration or advice to learn how to work through or to learn to know when to push through and work hard and when to practice relinquishment? For instance, when do we put in the extra two hours to get to to get the A plus instead of a B and when do we decide to go to bed? Yeah, that's the messy part of this, right? Well, some of it, I think you've got to back up and not, um, not let it come to this one, some of these things, right? You can do this, sometimes you can't. But if it's a paper, right? Or if it's a sermon um, where you've got a hard deadline, you know it's coming, right? So maybe some of it is backing up and changing your rhythms of, of um, yeah, changing your rhythms beforehand so that you don't get to a point <laughs> where you have that hard decision to make, right? Um, so planning ahead is a good thing. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I don't think there is a simple one answer for every situation. Um, prayer is a helpful thing. Listening to the spirit is a helpful thing. Um, again, I'm going to, you know, say, I mean, I'm going to start sounding like a broken record here. Right. But um, listening to your friends and your faculty, you know, if you're writing a paper, um, your deacons, the, those that are supporting you, um, that can help. But I'd say plan ahead as much as you can. Um, and plan ahead knowing, especially if you're in ministry, well, I mean, this is true of all of life, but especially if you're, if you're in ministry, you know, inevitably when you're, you know, just desperately trying to get that sermon finished for Sunday, you know, there's going to be somebody comes in that has like a serious problem or doesn't, it's not a serious problem, but they think it's a serious problem and, you know, are going to suck, you know, eight hours of your day, you know, inevitably those things happen. And so, um, yeah, plan ahead as much as you can. Uh, remember to pray. Remember that your worth as a person um, and as a minister is not determined by, you know, how good your sermon or your paper is all the time. So I don't know. I wish I could give you more straightforward answers, but I don't think there, I don't think there are. And I think if we try to make it too rigid, that's when we get into problems as well, right? So again, because that comes back to, you um, um, relying on our own control, right? And that's when you start getting into the problems that, you know, that Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees, right? And so it's not that, you know, the, 
the goals that they had, the patterns that they were trying to live out were inherently bad, right? It was just, and they were good goals, um, but, you know, it can be pushed to an extreme. Um, think about the cost to others. So. Thank you for that. Um, another question. Would you share some of your rhythms in your day slash week that has helped you in your life in ministry? I know each person has to figure out what works best for them. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it's something that has changed, you know, my, my rhythms, I guess, have changed a bit um, over the years. And um, they were different when I was a single, you know, a single woman. Um, then when I got married and had this other person that was there all the time, which, you know, that's a weird thing. Um, especially as an introvert, um, and then having a baby, oh my gosh, you know, what does that do to your rhythm? So, so I think it's something I've had to, you know, constantly adjust and, um, figure out, um, what I've been doing recently are some things that have really helped me recently. Um, I've been doing with, my, my whole church has been doing this, but we've been reading through the Psalms every month. And so if you read five Psalms a day, you get through the entire Psalter every month. Um, and so taking those Psalms each, each day, um, I tend to do it in the mornings, um, after I've sent my daughter off to daycare, you know, um, that's a really good, um, I don't know, just a quiet moment to, to sit and, um, hear from, you know, the faithful front through the millennia, right. And hear from God and be able to find ways to help articulate some of what I'm feeling too. So, so having, having some time where it's just you and God is really important and you need to figure out what that looks like for you. Um, for me, it's like different ways, different seasons of my life. I used to journal quite a bit. Um, sometimes it was, um, um, I, I had a period where I was needing to do a lot of sort of extended periods of silence and solitude, just, you know, somewhere. So I think you need to figure that out. Um, but that's foundational. Um, I have needed, um, physical exercise has been really important for me, just helpful, um, sort of mentally, especially this year, um, coming off the baby, coming through COVID, um, a new job. So finding ways to, to exercise, I think. I mean, it's a really basic thing, but it actually really helps. Um, and then conversation. So that's been really, um, that's one of the things that really helps me um, sort of integrate all of these pieces, right? So I am very fortunate to be married to um, a co-laborer, right? Um, another pastor. Um, and so um I, I can't tell you how much I value um, being able to work through, um, you know, a lesson I'm teaching on the book of Haggai or this, um, this hard situation that came up or like this weird publication thing or, oh my goodness, why is our daughter throwing her carrots at the dog, right? And like working through and then hearing from him as well and just processing and thinking and like, I'm having a really hard time right now and I'm not really sure why. So having people that you can talk to. So my husband has been that for me. I've got a few friends that I, um, that I keep up with, but I, I think, I think all of that has been really helpful, having an outlet, having 
the exercise, having the time with God um, helps me keep all of that integrated. Thank you for that. Um, another question, I think part of, you know, maintaining a balance for lack of a better term life is knowing how to uphold your boundaries with people. Um, do you have any advice for handling situations where people aren't necessarily respecting your boundaries? Yeah. And that is hard. And that is hard and it will always happen. Right. And so, and I, I don't want to say, um, I don't want y'all to hear me saying that you shouldn't try to have boundaries because you don't want to get walked over. Um, yeah. And I think, um, again, there's not a hard and fast rule. Right. So, and that's part of what makes it all so messy. Um, I don't know that it's a helpful thing as, or a practical, realistic thing to say, you know, as ministers in whatever form your ministry takes. Um, and honestly, as Christians, right? Because I think every Christian is called to minister. Um, I don't think it's realistic or right to say, all right, I'm taking my Sabbath from Friday you know, midday to Saturday midday, and I am not going to answer my phone and I am not going to, you know, help somebody if they, you know, if they're having a, you know, you know, if they have a question about their Bible study curriculum, or I'm not going to, you know, I don't, I don't know that having a super hard boundary like that is helpful because that's not how life works. Um, that's not how people's needs work. Um, I think Jesus pushed against that in the gospels. Um, at the same time, I think you need to protect those relations, you know, your relationships outside of, you know, you're not at church, right? So be present with your family, right? And so maybe you don't answer the phone the first time it rings, but if it rings a second time from the same number, maybe check and see what it is. I don't know. I think, I think, paying attention to, um, priorities, right? So maybe, um, tr learning to triage a little bit, right? Um, paying attention to what's really a need at this moment and what is just a request or it'd be nice to talk. I don't know. I'm sort of rambling a little bit here because I think it is sort of a case by case thing. Um, again, I'm going to commend prayer and I'm going to commend um, conversation with others because I think it helps. I think sometimes we can't see when we're overcommitted. We can't see when we're um, sacrificing sacrificing a relationship with God, ourself, or a you know family or friend, but other people can see that. Um, and so I think learning to listen and be humble enough to ask for help. Um, and navigating that is good. Thank you so much, Dr. Cole Hayes. I think that um, what you have provided for us is so foundational to all of our ministry and even beyond ministry. And 
um, talking about boundaries, I think we need to go ahead and <laughs> um, go end with the word of prayer. And if it's okay, I want to thank everybody uh, for joining us. And I'd love for us to uh, to pray for you, Dr. Pohays, and in your ministry and your work and all that you're doing. Thank you again so much for sharing the, this great wisdom with all of us, things that we need to be reminded of and need to continue to learn day in, day out. Let us pray. Our good God, we want to give you thanks for Dr. Pohays. Thank you for the work that you have done in her life, for the wisdom you've given her, for the knowledge and her gifts and talents. We ask you that you continue to bless her in her ministry alongside of her family. We ask you that you would continue to um, allow her to bless the lives of many students and many others, God. Teach us, O oh Holy Spirit, to set uh, boundaries in our lives, to set new rhythms, to uh, find opportunities to have Sabbath, to remember all that you have done in our lives. God, thank you because you don't expect perfection Rather, you want us to be like your son, Jesus. God, will you help us to treasure all these things in our hearts? In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you very much. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today. And we hope that you will stay connected with us on Facebook, on our Facebook and our um, Texas BWIM website. Y'all have a good day. Thank you so much.